Merry Christmas to you all. So glad that you joined us. For those of you who are joining us online, welcome. For those of you who are here in person, welcome. We're so glad to have the privilege to lift the name of the Lord high today. And I don't know if you noticed, we have a sign outside the church that, um, that talks about our Christmas Eve services. And on the bottom, someone pointed out that the website is wrong. And uh, so we corrected it so it forwards on to our website. But I, it our address, our website's address is hopebrunswick.org. And out there, it says hopeofbrunswick.org. And I, I thought, as I was reflecting on that this morning, I know the hope of Brunswick, you know? I know him personally. And this season that we've gathered together, thank you for those of you who have come back from college, visiting family. We're so glad that you're here. And this season, what we get to do is to celebrate the hope of Brunswick. And he has a name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to ask you to join me as we dedicate this time in prayer to the Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you for your goodness. These songs that we sing, recognizing the Advent season, preparing for the celebration of Christmas, and this week as we anticipate the recognition that Christ entered the world, the pre-incarnate one, to bring the hope of the God of the universe that was prepared for in advance as a lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We celebrate that fact today, Lord. And today we, in this place, lift your name high. We glorify you. We celebrate the fact that you are the living God. And this morning, I, I pray today, as I think of what that means for you to be the hope of Brunswick, Lord, we, we know that this is a place that has desired to keep you at the center of everything that we do. Lord, you are our King, you are our Lord, and we pray that as you've continued to bless this local congregation, Lord, we pray for the local community of believers that surround us. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you embolden them? Would you allow us to be people who understand where we find our hope? And this morning, I cry out to you on behalf of Christians everywhere, that I pray humbly this morning that for each one of us, many of which who are wrestling right now in a broken world, looking at what it means for us to be Christians in a country that has challenges and stresses and discouragements and fears. And I can't help but pray this morning, asking, Lord, that you would allow us to be people who are as passionate about sharing the gospel as we are about our politics, our opinions, our fears, our discouragements. Lord, would you allow us to be a group of people that lift your name high? You are our savior. Lord, you are our only hope. And we know from your word, you warn us in the book of John, we'll look at it today, that, that there's a group of people that will fear the light. We'll see it in Herod as we study your word, like, that, that he saw your light as a threat Lord, I pray it would never be so for each one of us, but Lord, that we would be people who understand what it means to have the presence of the living God amongst us, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. We love you. We thank you and praise you for this morning. I pray that as we study your word together, that you would be glorified in the way we do so. In Jesus' precious and holy name, and all God's people said, Amen. In John chapter 3, verse 20, in the, the famous verses that, that follow John 3, 16, there's this little bit of a warning that's there. And I wanted to start there this morning. John 3, 
20 says this. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. One of my convictions is I don't want to be a per person who puts burdens on other people's backs that I myself aren't willing to bear. And so I had to ask myself the question, where is it in my life that I hate light? And I'll be really vulnerable and honest with you. I hate stoplights. They drive me nuts. Now, did you know that according to AAA, if you commute to work, if you have any kind of commute to work by the end of your life because of the statistics, you will spend about four months of your life at stoplights. Four months of your life. Now, uh, you know, some of you are like, oh, I got this covered. You pull out your phone. You're one of those, right? You know, that forgets when it turns green. My kids are laughing because they're like, dad, you're the worst at that, right? But, but that time, it, it represents something that's frustrating for some of us, right? When we lived in Southern California, there was an article that came out that there was a guy who had purchased a device that fooled the, the lights at that time. They're a little bit older. Now they do this by GPS, but that, that communicated to the stoplight that it was an ambulance or a fire truck. So he always had green lights everywhere he went. And for four years, he had green lights everywhere he went. And I can't help but think how many times I was on the other side of that, right? Or can you imagine the ambulance that really did deserve to go through there? And after he paid his fine, uh, it was before it was a criminal offense in California, now it is. But after he paid his fine, he, he said some statement, like it was totally worth it. And I, I got to work on time. I got to do it you know, kind of my way, right? And I can't, can't help but think... That, that when we talk about light and darkness, Herod's going to be a man that's really prominent in the passage of scripture that we look at today. And, and he's going to be a prominent man in this, this infamous story, the famous story of the Lord Jesus Christ and the advent, but also the events that happened after the Lord Jesus Christ as he entered into the world. And, and we're going to just see this moment in history where the world hates the light, like where it's, it's going to reject the light, that, it, that there were people that chose to say, I want nothing to do with that. And I'll just remind you, metaphorically, light and darkness in scripture is, is representing the difference between life and death. It is representing hope and encouragement, light. But darkness means people who are blinded, that aren't able to experience the fullness that God created for them. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to what is one of the most incredible sections of Scripture describing the moments after the Lord Jesus Christ had come to earth. In Matthew chapter 2, we're going to pick up in Matthew 2, and we're going to be reminded this morning of a simple yet powerful truth that Jesus is the light of the world, that he's our guide in a dark and dangerous world. We just have to be people who choose to allow him to be. In other words, we just have to choose to allow him to be our light. Or we can choose to scramble around in the darkness and try to grope at what it means for us to survive in the midst of a dark and broken world. And in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, what we see is these, these aftermath moments after the Lord Jesus Christ had come and to see how individuals responded to the light. We see this beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born... 
in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. These are pretty famous men these days. They were probably educated scholarly types that were coming from Babylon. They were individuals that were looking at some level of astrology. We'll talk a bit about this infamous, famous star uh, that, that carries with it so much weight today. But but, but what's important is to notice is that they're seekers, right? They're coming to honor and obey what was predicted in the book of Numbers that would be represented by a star would be the advent of the Messiah. And so here they stand in verse 2 and they say, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? It's quite a, quite a statement. For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. <laughs> It's important for us this morning to remember the first point, and that is the light gives direction in the darkness. The darkness is the void of light. It's the state of the world when Jesus entered into it. It was a dark and dangerous place. I want to ask you a personal question, a sincere one, and that is, what is your, your experience with darkness? Some of you have experienced personal darkness. I used an illustration last week of being in a cave some of you have experienced very dark places. Uh, but, but I want to move from the physical darkness to the spiritual darkness. What are some environments that you've been in where you stood back and you said, there's no God here. Uh, there, there's no evidence of light here. This is a dark and empty place. I've been in those places. And they carry with them a feeling of emotional feeling of just emptiness, discouragement. And that was the world that the Lord Jesus entered into and what we understand, though, is that Jesus came to give us direction in the darkness of a world that desperately needed him. And it's interesting that his birth was recognized by this incredible celestial recognition of his birth, right? And so, so we have this, what we call a star here. And I'm guessing for many of you, you have one of these sitting on a Christmas tree in your home. Uh, there's a Bethlehem star behind me on the stage. We, we recognize that this was a special moment. Some of you have heard that there's an aligning of, of uh, planets that's happening in the next few days that, that reminds many of us of what, what, what we look at historically and we say, wow, was this it? Was this what, what happened 2,000 years ago, was this what these individuals were following? I want to talk to you about that just very briefly. The Greek word for star is one that represents any light in the sky that is a special light event historically in Greek. And so um, to call it a star is difficult for us because it could have represented an angel and it could have represented the aligning of planets like we reference here, or it could be um, something else. And, and this morning, I want to challenge your view of this star a little bit. Um, the, the first um, and, and has been historically suggested of the aligning of planets like Jupiter and Saturn, like we're going to experience here in the next few days, if we can see it in our um, cloudy nights in Cleveland, um, that there's this extra brightness that happens when stars align. It's possible that this was the event that started to draw attention to the Lord. But in the text, what we're going to see is this, this movement of the star, the, the, the drawing to this place where the Lord Jesus was, and it actually is taking place a couple years even after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so though the question is, what is this star that is referenced here? Was it a special comet, as some have suggested? Can you picture putting a comet on the top of your Christmas tree? It's kind of hard to, to picture, isn't it? But some of us suggested this. We've seen comets historically 
I just want to share with you a personal perspective on this. I think it may have been a combination of this. No one really knows. We know that it was a celestial event. So for some of you, you say, Sean, it's always going to be a star for me and it will be a star forever and that's okay. But I just want to remind you historically of an event in Israel. As the Israelites were traveling in the wilderness, that they were led in the darkness and in the day by a cloud and in the darkness by the very presence of God. Uh, we use a word that's not in scripture to reference this, his Shekinah glory, his, his presence that it's indicated by light. And I can't help but think that in this time period where it's described here, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Maybe they began with seeing something that was incredible that was in the skies and they said, what is this? And they were curious and connected it to prophecies back in numbers or maybe it was even something that was physical and tangible. Maybe the presence of an angel that represented the presence of God. But what I love in the text is that it describes this light in such a way, this is great, that it couldn't be ignored, right? Like we can't ignore this. This is it. This is something that's incredible. And these individuals from Babylon traveled all the way to Israel to experience this. But you know what's, you know what's so sad to me? Is that there were people who had prayed for daily the Messiah who ignored this. That there were people who were around it, like they, they described this in such a way that you, you can't not see the light, right? And, and yet, for some reason, people wanted to catch this. This is helpful to me. They wanted to just stay in the darkness. Like Herod wanted to keep things the way it was. And I can't help but think as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas that, that there are some of us that see the sight of the light of the, the God of the universe, the, the hope of the gospel, the reality that he's done for each one of us, and yet we choose to say we want to stay in the darkness. What we know about this, this star was that it led the wise men to the Messiah. The light led the Israelites to life in the darkness of the wilderness. And you know what I celebrate today, regardless of what that light was? Don't get hung on it, up on it too much. But what I celebrate today is the light still leads those who are willing to follow. Yeah? The, the Lord is still moving and leading, and he continues to lead us to this day. And so what we see is Herod's response in verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, which is a fascinating statement. Well, what do you mean? He's here? What, what, why is this troubling? Because they wanted to stay in the darkness. Verse 4, in assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ where was he to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. What a great phrase. Remember, when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. So, so Herod recognized what Jesus was going to claim to be. He was not ignorant of the claims of Christ, what, what those who were claiming Jesus was going to be, what he was going to fulfill, but what he wanted, we see in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them when that time that the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and to worship him. You know, I love this part. We, we just had a wonderful time of worship. 
Those who experience the light ought to worship the God of the universe, right? Like the, the, all, the, the right response to the light is not to turn it off, not to reject it, not to ignore it, but it's actually to worship. And this is what we see that these individuals do. It's incredible that Herod wasn't ignorant of the right response. You see this in his words? He wasn't ignorant of the appropriate response to the Messiah, but what we know about him is that he wanted to stay in the darkness. He wanted the world around him to stay in the darkness. It says this, that, um, that and listening to the king, they went on their way in verse nine, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. That's an, in, an, an interesting statement, isn't it? That this light that they're following goes before them and it comes to rest over the place where this child was. I can't help but wonder what that was. But regardless of what it was, what we know is that it was a signpost for the man who would be called the light of the world. Right? So he uses light to say, here it is. Here it is. Here he is. We don't know if this was months afterwards, up to two years after Jesus was born. So the images that we have of him are complicated by this fact, but it's important for us to understand that when they saw this star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These three gifts are probably why we think there were three people. We have no idea how many wise men pursued the Lord. In verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You know, this was an incredible time in history, wasn't it? And, and it's essential for us to understand that, yes, he did come to give light in the darkness and the Lord Jesus later in his life would claim to not only be a symbol of the light, but he would be one that brings light into a dark world. He says this in John 8 verse 12. Jim read it earlier. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Isn't that a great phrase? I want to unpack that with you. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is not a source of light. You notice his words, that he is the light of the world, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. In darkness, what we want to do is like we approach the grocery store. We're so blessed. Uh, we've lived in countries where you get one option. You got one, one, t one brand of milk, right? Uh, you got one, one option for eggs. You got, uh, when we go to stores here, we get a hundred options, right? We get versions and almond milk. I still can't figure out what that is. And these, these, these things that are out there, right? We have so many choices, right? And, and yet what we do religiously today in so many ways is that we say, okay, I'm okay with Jesus, especially baby Jesus. Let's be honest, right? I'm okay with Jesus. This is, this is the darkness speaking. But, but I just want to pick and choose. I, I want to I want to decide which bits of Jesus I'm comfortable with and, and which ones are, are the things that I, I, let's just leave those aside. Uh, the idea that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. It's incredibly offensive, right? And yet it's the claim of Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. 
And then, and then he tells us really the point of this morning. He says, follow me. We, we're going to do this together. So how do we navigate a dark world? How do we navigate a dark and dangerous world? How do we navigate a world that's broken? Or do I need to remind you how broken the world is around us right now? Like, how do we navigate that? Well, actually, we navigate that because of the fact that we get to do it with him, right? That he is the one who is our guide in a dark and dangerous world. We don't need to focus in on the darkness, do we? Because we know what the darkness is. But what we need to focus in on is the fact that, praise the Lord, there's somebody who's going before us, offering for us what it looks like for us to be people who no longer walk in darkness, but we have the light of life, right? You know, darkness is, is really something that people have grown comfortable in. And we, when we grow comfortable in the darkness, the light does hurt our eyes, right? But it doesn't mean that the Lord Jesus was not crystal clear when he said this. In fact, I want to give you the setting that the Lord Jesus spoke these powerful words in when he originally spoke them. There's this incredible ceremony that would take place in Jerusalem that surrounded a festival called Sukkot. And this, this particular festival was one that involved water and the, the Lord Jesus had claimed to be living water. Whoever drinks of him would never thirst again. But this, this artistic rendition of this festival, they, they say that this festival would usually go several nights and it was a party all night long in Jerusalem. That, that they say that the lights from these huge lamps that were lit on the Temple Mount uh, in, in the court of, of the, of the, um, the not the court of the Gentiles, but in the main court area. This, this area was so bright. These lamps were so significant that they say that, that the courtyards in every house and every area in Jerusalem were filled by the light at night. In fact, there's some funny extra biblical sources that, that it was the young priests that had to climb those towers to fill them with oil. It's kind of funny. Like, oh yeah, you got this, buddy. Good luck, right? And they'd take oil and they'd fill these huge lamps. And this was this incredible celebration in Jerusalem of, of actually talking partially about the fact that God led his people through the wilderness when they were living in tents, that he was their light, right? They're celebrating God leading them. And, and there's these massive lamps and it, it lights up the night. And now you and I can't appreciate that as much today because of the fact that we do this all of the time, right? Like that we turn lights on by flipping switches, but they would have had this massive, I love this, this art, artistic rendition of it that it's just so bright. And this is at night. This is at three in the morning, right? There's a party, celebration. The light has come. We celebrate God's leadership in our lives. But when that light went out, when the festival is over, the Lord Jesus Christ stands up and he says some words that would have been so offensive when he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Do you understand? That when he said those words, that people would have stood back and they say, who do you think you are? And the only answer back to that is, I'm the God of the universe. I am the physical presence of God. Come to seek and to save that which was lost. I love you. I'm your only hope. And if he was a if he was just claiming religious authority for himself, if he was just standing back and suggesting that he was another prophet or another priest, it would have been an outrageous claim. But for you and I to understand that by standing up at that time period, he really truly backed this up, not just by his life, but by his death 
and then by his resurrection from the dead, right? And so, so when we celebrate this light, he's not a source of light. He's not a good religious leader. He's not just a concept that we find ourselves saying, ah, I didn't like that one. Let's, let's try something new. He's actually claiming to be the light of the world. I'll re-say his words. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the life of light. Isn't that great? So, so in our artistic renditions of the Lord Jesus Christ, I love this, this image of Jesus that, that as they look on as Mary and Joseph in the days after Jesus was born, the, that this, this looking upon him, I, what I love about this artistic rendition is he's the source of light, right? They're, they're standing around the light. They're experiencing him as the light. And we know that light and life are in direct contrast to the darkness and death that fills our world. You know, there's also, it's appropriate to see as we talk about guides, that there are plenty of other would-be guides that offer assistance these days. I, I can't think of no other time in history when people are attempted to be influenced by other ideas more. So, so we talk about commercials, we talk about, uh, we talk about technology. It's important for us to understand that today, the message that comes to us is so custom fit to our preferences that, that we find voices that agree with what we agree with already. That, that there are individuals that, of course, we've said this before, would love to borrow your influence. They would love to allow you to just obey and follow and pay and to support whatever the thing is that they're committed to. But, but I just remind you, there's just one guide that I want to have in my life. It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God, God's incarnate Savior that, was, that had been sent to seek and to save that which was lost. They, they want to, there are people in the world today that want to distract you. And I think the deceiver wants to do this in our life. I love this next image. When, when Jesus says in that passage, I want you to follow me. I, I, just, I just love this image. That, that, that the image for me that stands out is I know that I can just choose to try to figure out my life on my own, Right? And if I were like these deer that are on this picture, I, I could be like the one that's, that's three or four behind. Is there three of them? I, I could be like the one in the back there that just says, I'm going to go my own way. And one of the most incredible things about the Lord and, and about this idea of walking is that God just gives us the ability to decide how we're going to live our lives for the most part. He holds us accountable, but he gives us freedom to choose. So, so one of these deer could just choose to go whichever way he wants to go. In fact, that's what happens in the world that we live in. For so many of us, we just say, I want it my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go my own direction. I'm going to ignore the leadership of the Lord in my life. But when he says in this powerful passage, when he says that I want you to follow me, I think that this, this image is a beautiful one. He is the one who is our guide. He is the one who's in the front. He's doing the heavy lifting. And he allows us to be people who step in the footprints of the one who came to seek and save that which was lost. Does this make sense to you this morning? Does this idea of him claiming to be the light of the world, do you understand how shocking of a claim that would be if he was just a good religious man? It would have been, it would have been overwhelming. But the fact that he was the God of the universe, the one 
who was sent to seek and to save that which was lost, it really brings us to what I think is so important about what happened at the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ and then the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, means that the light of life becomes the permanent solution to the darkness of our world. Like this isn't a solution to the darkness of our world, but this is a permanent solution to the darkness of our world. On Wednesday night or on Thursday night on our um, Christmas Eve service, we're going to look at responses to the gospel. And we're going to focus in on the fact, well, like here, an example of this is that Herod's response to the gospel was antagonism, Right? Uh, that he wanted to turn off the light. He, he wanted to, if it was possible in his own power, ignore it. We, we've seen the shepherds or the wise men respond today in such a way that they pursued the light, right? We're going to seek it. We're going to pursue it. And on, on Thursday night, one of the things, or during the day on our Christmas Eve service, we'll talk briefly about Nicodemus, a man who had been surrounded by religious truths his entire life, and then Jesus is going to look at him and he's basically going to say to him, Nicodemus, it's time for you to choose. Like, like who are you going to follow? It, it's time for you to, do you remember the language he uses? Be born again. So, so in the image of this, this gift of Christ, the one who came as the light of the world, his offer to each one of us is, um, is the, the ability for us to be people who have a new life, Right? That is through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as our guide. And it's just, it just is so encouraging for me that the follower of Christ is given a true lifetime guarantee that darkness does not overcome the light. That Jesus is the light of the world. And the question for each one of us that we must ask ourselves is, what are we going to do with this light? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When I was, uh, I mentioned to you guys that I had the privilege of hiking to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back out of the Grand Canyon. It was a great experience. But what, one of the things that, that happened that we did because it was so hot in the Grand Canyon is that we hiked very early in the morning to go in and then we left very late at night. It was still dark outside, but the temperature was cooler at that time. And we were using headlamps and we were, were coming out of, of the Grand Canyon, and as we're hiking up, um, at one of the watering spots, there was this, this horrible sound that was coming out of one of the watering spots. And we were accounting on this place to be a place that we refilled our water bottles so that we could make it up out of the canyon as the sun rose. And by the way, later, the sunrise was incredible, uh, you know, hiking up the Grand Canyon. But, but there was this horrible noise that was inside. And for some reason, the, the guy that was with me, one of my interns, we were up front, and we just decided that this was a bear, okay? Um, so it makes sense, right? So you're like, you fool. Uh, well, we, we decided that this was a bear. I don't know if bears live in the Grand Canyon. I doubt that they do. But we both um, decided very quickly that we were going to 
pick up large rocks and chuck them into uh, this particular place where the water was at in order for us to get water. You guys are like, he is crazy, isn't he? Well, at this last second, just right at the last second before chucking these things in, uh, one of us said, well, maybe we should shine our light inside there and see. And it was a dude snoring away, right? And so can you imagine how he would have woken up uh, to our rocks? It's just a scary thought. You know, when it comes to the darkness that's around us, this, this image, when it's described as being something that is in contrast with the light of the world that takes away the sins of the world, for some of us, we're just stuck in the darkness right now. For many that surround us, how, how do you navigate a pandemic? How do you navigate when things are, are torn away? We're going to begin a series next year that I'm really excited about. On every dollar that you and I have ever spent, there's this phrase, and you guys know it, it's in God, we trust, right? It's incredible that's there, isn't it? Because it would be hard to say that that represents everybody in our country, right? Or everybody who spends a dollar. In God, we trust. And when we study the life of Job, we're going to look through the series. Some of you are like, somebody said this this morning. Great, a study through Job. That sounds really encouraging, right? But, but actually, what we see with Job is that if, if you could take um, that phrase, in God we trust, and if you, if you got word of the word God, and, and if you started to look at the things that are around us, my wealth, my, my family, my friends, my influence, even just being successful at the things that I'm doing, what would happen if those things were taken away from you? Like, like would you be able to say, in God I trust? And what's incredible about the life of Job is that even his wife said to him, curse God and die, give up. He had so much taken away. But at the end of the time, what we see is that actually he was one of those faithful servants that in his lifetime, he decided that he was going to depend on God. So at the end of the day, he could say those words that are written on our dollar bills, in God we trust. And I'll tell you, how do, how do you address life amidst a pandemic how do you address life in the midst of so many things that we cherish and that are precious to us being canceled, uh, being disrupted, having lives changed? Well, I'll just tell you really, really, really specifically, just trusting God, right? Have the light of the world as a part of your life. Understand that he's the guide that's one step ahead of you saying, come, follow me. And I think if we are people who choose to do that, we get to experience an eternal promise of the light not just coming one time in that time period historically so many years ago, but that he's come to be our light every day of our lives. And if we understand this, we will not just worship him as a baby. We will not just worship him as the man who claimed to be God, but we will worship him for eternity because of the fact that he is the light of the world. I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer, and I'll invite the worship team forward to close our time out together. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the fact that, that the gift that you gave us was one truly of the hope of Brunswick, right? Lord, that you gave us the hope for a broken and dark world. You gave us the hope 
And and Lord, I just want to praise you and thank you for that. As we celebrate with the songs that we sing, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And Lord, I don't just celebrate the fact that there was a precious gift given to us on that day, but Lord, I want to celebrate today that even those, those magi, those wise men that sought you, Mary and Joseph and others, those who would ultimately become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that would follow him and become fishers of men, those who would give their lives because of the fact that they understood that Jesus claimed to be what he truly was, the light of the world. Lord, I just thank you. I, I celebrate that on this Christmas week. I celebrate the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for each one of us that if we are people who are honest with ourselves, that we've grown comfortable in the darkness, that we've accepted that the pattern of this world defines how we find our joy and comfort and peace. And Lord, for some of us, we find ourselves really discouraged in the midst of that. I pray, Lord, that today would be a day when they choose to turn on the light in their life. Lord, that they would choose to accept the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ and not just be a God, a Savior, a hope, but Lord, to be the hope of the world. And I pray that today we would be people who live in the light of your light, that it would be evidenced in the way that we follow you. So Lord, today we celebrate your provision. We celebrate the fact that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we declare together the fact that he is the light of the world and the light of our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.